So uh, if you can, turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, and you can see how it's spelled up there on the screen, H-A-B-A-K-K-U-K. Habakkuk's one of those names, it's almost like like Booznitz, right? I mean, how many consonants can you really fit into one name? You know, you almost feel like Habakkuk's an Eastern European or something, and uh, it's just one of those names that you would never name your kid these days, would you? Um, but how many, you know, this is a book like all the minor prophets, that was written about 2,500, 2,600 years ago. And I think it's easy when you come to the minor prophets to look at them and say, okay, this is a specific message that was written to a specific group of people about a specific situation in a specific place, and it was over 2,000 years ago. What does this possibly have to do with me? Is there anything I can get out of this? I'm a different person, I'm in a different place, I'm at a different time. Well, let me say this, this is the beauty of God's Word. God's Word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it spoke to the people when God gave it 2,000 years ago, and it speaks to us today, here on August 2nd, 2020. God has a message that He wants us to hear today, and it's my prayer that He will be. we will be able to hear it. This is actually a really important point because as we've been going through these minor prophets, remember there are 12 of them, and we're on the 8th out of 12. Uh, and, and this important message, it reminds me of what Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says. And this is something I try to remember every week as I prepare to teach these minor prophets. It says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so that's my prayer each week as we look at these minor prophets is that God gives you hope and encouragement through his word. And I think there's a lot there uh, that we will see here this morning. You know, this morning we're going to look at three hard questions that Habakkuk asks. Three hard questions. If you have a bulletin, you'll see them there in your bulletin. You can look online. If you if you're not here in person, you can find the bulletin online. But those those three questions that Habakkuk asks in this book, I think if we're honest, These are actually questions that we probably ask. If you're not asking them right now, you've probably asked them in the past, or there's a really good chance you're going to ask them in the the future. And so what are these three questions? I want us to look at Habakkuk chapter 1. You know, Habakkuk is actually a unique prophet among the minor prophets, among all the prophets. Uh, It's not a long prophet. There are three chapters. It's like, uh, I think, 57, 56 verses. Um, But usually when a prophet speaks and gives a message, who do they speak to? Speak to the people, right? In fact, the word prophet literally means messenger. And so when God gives a prophet a message, they go out and they proclaim to the people, here's the message. Well, Habakkuk's a little bit different because this entire book is not him speaking to the people directly. It's him speaking with God. And we get to overhear this conversation that Habakkuk has with the creator of the universe. And it's an amazing gift, and that's the way that he gives us his message today. You know, this book actually reads more like something you would find in the book of Psalms than you find in the Minor Prophets. Uh, It's more like a psalm, and and here we find it right in the middle of the Minor Prophets. In fact, if you read the book of Psalms, you'll notice there's a lot of psalms that sound very similar to this, what we would call a lament psalm. And that's a a, a psalm or a song that, that the author pours out. It's basically them saying, Lord, I have a complaint, or God, I have a request. I need your help. It's a psalm or a song that's written in a time of great need, a time of great uncertainty. 
That's exactly what Habakkuk is. It's like one of those psalms. He pours out his three questions before the Almighty God. You know, there's a couple things that I think we're going to see as we look at these three questions. There's a few things that I really love about Habakkuk and why I think it's really important for us to look at this book right here in the middle of the Minor Prophets. And the first one is this. Habakkuk is is very honest with God. He asks hard questions. He doesn't shy away and and pretend like everything's okay because everything is not okay. He's going through a really hard time. And, And he asks these hard questions to God. And I think it's important for us as the people of God to realize that God welcomes our hard questions. That's the other thing I love about this book is that God welcomes his questions and gives him answers. Now you're going to find out Habakkuk doesn't love the answers he gets all the time, but it results in his faith being expressed. And that's kind of the third thing I love about this book is that you'll see it has an incredibly powerful ending uh, in, in which Habakkuk expresses his faith in a strong, strong way, a way that's I feel like one of the strongest expressions of faith in the midst of adversity in all of scripture. And so that's where we will end today. So let's look at that first question. Uh, and, and you see it in chapter one, verse two, chapter one, verse two, we'll start in verse one. It says the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet saw Verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? That's the first question. How long? Um, How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. So really what Habakkuk is saying here in that first question when he says, How long, Lord? How long do I have to keep going through this? He's really saying to God, Are you listening? Do you notice what's happening? Do you see what I'm going through? And what is he going through? Look at what these verses said. Here are the things that Habakkuk's upset about. He says there's violence in verse 2. And God's not saving him from the violence. He says, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? In other words, he's surrounded by sinful people doing terrible things. And he says, God, why are you not doing something about this? These people are destroying themselves. They're destroying me. Why are you not saving me? And then he talks about destruction and violence. And he says, the law is paralyzed. And here's the big problem. Justice never goes forth. In fact, he says, justice goes forth perverted. In other words, it's twisted. It's not true justice. People are experiencing terrible things. And so Habakkuk is speaking to the Lord and he says, how long? Are you even listening? Do you notice what's going on down here? There's big problems. Hard times. So I wonder, have you ever found yourself in circumstances like that? Where you would say you're in hard times. Uh, where things are happening that you don't like. You're not sure if you can endure them. You're not sure what's going on. And you might find yourself asking, how long? How long is this going to last, Lord? This reminds me a little bit of uh, a few years ago. Our family went to the Smoky Mountains. And we went to this uh, amusement park called Dollywood. Anybody here been to Dollywood? Okay. So it's a, a big roller coaster park. And I remember... I like roller coasters. I don't love them, okay? And I feel like the older I get, the less I like them. Um, 
And so the last time we were there, there was this one roller coaster that was, uh, it did, you know, I, I rode it with my kids and it was doing corkscrews and ups and downs and side to side. And I thought, when is this going to be over? How long is this going to last? And we finally got to the end and it stopped. And I was like, oh, good. And then it kicked in reverse and you do the whole ride again backwards, up and down, behind. And uh, I didn't feel so good after that ride. But that's how life feels sometimes, isn't it? You, you think, how long? This is terrible. It's not going well. I, these ups and downs and the twists and turns, I can't handle this. And then you do it in reverse and you have to go through it all the way again. That's how life is sometimes. And we cry out, God, how long? What in your life fits that description right now? What is there that's just not making sense? For Habakkuk, we see what it was. For you, it might be something small, like how long do I have to keep wearing this mask? And that is a small thing. We don't like it, but it's a small thing. How long is this pandemic going to last before they get a vaccine? How long am I going to fight against cancer? How long... Am I going to fight with my spouse before our marriage recovers? How long will my prodigal child wander? How long am I going to be without work? And we can ask these questions about so many things and say, God, how long is this going to last? We need some help here. Give me some help. And God does answer uh, Habakkuk. Uh, Now, this doesn't apply to the situations we're talking about, but we want to see his answer to, to Habakkuk's situation. Uh, it's a, it's a very specific answer. Uh, so the principles apply, but basically God's answer is how long? Not forever. <laughs> my timing is better than your timing. He says, my timing is perfect and I have a plan. And so what does he say that, that leads us to believe that it's his answer kind of comes in verses five through 11. So basically what happens is Habakkuk says, God, things are terrible here. There's so much injustice, so much violence. It's a terrible way to live. And God says, oh, don't worry, I have a plan to deal with that. Here's the plan. Verse 5, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the bed of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Chaldeans is another word for Babylonians. Okay, that's the ancient name for Babylonians. And so God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians and they're going to come and they are dreaded and fearsome, verse 7. Their justice and their dignity go forth from themselves. In other words, they're making up their own version of justice. Guess what? It's not going to be any better than the one that Habakkuk has right now. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. They are guilty men whose might is their own God. So God says to Habakkuk, you've got problems in your country, a lot of injustice, a lot of things that are going wrong, a lot of violence. Well, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to send the Babylonians to wipe your country out. And you're going to be completely destroyed because of the sins of your country. And so in the case of Habakkuk, he says, here's my answer. This is not going to go on forever. I've got a plan to stop the problem. I will use them. I will use the Chaldeans to punish the sin and the problem. So here's the thing. 
God says it's my timing. Now, we're going to go back to how, how he plans to deal with this. But the main thing on this first question is remember who Habakkuk is talking to. He's asking that question to the Lord of the universe, the one person in the entire universe who knows the future. And he says, Lord, how long? And God's answer to him is, in my time, I will make all things right. Well, that brings us to the second question. The second question, I only have three today, is why would you do it that way? That's what Habakkuk basically asks in these next verses. God, why would you solve the problem this way? Why would you do it this way? You know, Habakkuk does not like the answer. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. But you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and who cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? In other words, God, how can you use these wicked Babylonians to fix the problem? That doesn't seem right. You can't use evil to fix some more evil. Like, does two rights make, does two wrongs make a right? Uh, that's basically what Habakkuk is saying here. God, this is a terrible plan. How could, why would you do it this way? Why would you do it this way? That's really what he asks him. There's a powerful word picture there in verses 14 through 17 that describe how the Babylonians treat people. It's this idea of, of someone who's fishing with a net. It says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, and he rejoices and is glad. Verse 17, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Have you ever seen somebody pull up a full net of fish, and the fish are all struggling? You don't see much compassion from the fisherman in that case, right? He doesn't care what happens to the fish. He's going to kill them, haul them off, and go get some more. And that's what the Babylonians do. They conquer one nation. They draw them in. They take them off as slaves. And then they move on to the next thing. And, and Habakkuk says, how can you use somebody like that? How can you possibly say that's fixing the problem? Why would you do it this way? So we have to ask ourselves, have you ever felt this way sometimes? You pray and ask God for something, and you say, I need help, Lord. And the bad thing that's happening sometimes seems to get worse. Actually, you seem to the problem seems to intensify. Or sometimes you might look at it and you say, God, can you help me? And God kind of works on something. You say, Lord, I have a much better plan than you had. You know, why don't you do it my way, God? Why don't you just uh, fix all the problems? You know, I'm out of a job right now. Why don't you give me a really high-paying job where I never need anything again and uh, I'll never ask you for anything again? You think that's what God wants? <laughs> for us to never ask him for anything again? So have you ever experienced something like this where you've said to God, God, why would you do it this way? God, why are you doing, why are you orchestrating my life to work out this way? I think we all go through seasons like that where you might have that question and say, God, why are you doing it this way? I think God's answer comes in, in chapter two, verses two through 26. And God basically says to Habakkuk, you only see part of the picture. You don't see the whole picture of what's coming. Yes, I'm going to use the Babylonians, but I'm also, he says, going to hold them accountable. And so chapter 2 is really the whole account of God says, 
not only are the Babylonians going to bring judgment on Judah, on Israel, on God's sinful people, but they're going to face judgment one day for their sin. This is the recurring theme of the prophets. Sin brings judgment every time. And so God says the Babylonians are going to face judgment. And so just briefly, if you look in chapter 2, there are actually five times where Habakkuk says, woe to the Babylonians. Five things, five woes for what they've done. It says this, uh, verse 6, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. In other words, the Babylonians take things that don't belong to them. They're greedy. And God says, you're going to face judgment for that. Woe to you. Verse 9, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. What graphic pictures these prophets give us. In other words, these people are building their houses with money they stole from others. And God says, it's like your own house is crying out saying, You've done wrong. And so woe to you. You will be judged for that. The third woe, verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. You will face judgment for that. It's the wrong foundation. Fourth woe, verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wine and make them drunk so that you can take advantage of them. The fifth woe, the last one, the great woe. Verse 19. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. Contrast, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So God says these people, that last woe, they've set up idols. They think that they are worshiping these idols that give them power. And God says, remember Who's really on the throne. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So you know it's interesting to read that description. God says to Habakkuk. I'm going to bring judgment on the Babylonians too. They'll be judged for their iniquity. And it's interesting to read that. But really the most important thing out of that. Is not all the facts of what he's going to do to the Babylonians. But skip back to the beginning of chapter 2. Chapter 2. All those things are going to happen to the Babylonians. But guess what? There's going to be a lot of pain for God's people in that process. And so there's a contrast at the beginning here. It talks about verse 4, about the wicked person. Um, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Or the just shall live by faith. That's a key verse in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, Paul in the New Testament latches onto that in Romans chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 3, the author of Hebrews latches onto it in Hebrews chapter 10. Because what's said there is that in the midst of all this suffering, in the midst of all this judgment that Habakkuk is about to experience, God says, you will live by faith. You will live by faith. You know, faith brings eternal life. When you trust in the living God, you can have eternal life. But faith is also the key to life in the present. Faith leads to faithfulness. And so God says, the just shall live by faith, or the righteous by his faith shall live. In other words, those who have faith 
are the ones who have righteousness. Um, and, and Paul goes on to explain a lot of that, going back to the example of Abraham in the Old Testament, that the reason Abraham was counted righteous was not because of the good things he did. It's because he had faith in the living God. And the same can be true of you. And so God's answer is, you only see part of the picture, Habakkuk. You only see part of the picture. I'm going to do this to the wicked, but to the righteous, they will live. You know, God's ways are not our ways. We celebrated communion here a minute ago. And so Habakkuk is asking this question, how can you use evil? Why would you do it this way? And we may not understand all exactly of how this worked. But we do know that when it comes to the cross, God uses evil to bring about perfect justice for all mankind. He uses the evil of the cross to break Jesus' body, to shed his blood. And he uses all that to bring about something beautiful and good, and that is eternal salvation. And so I think if you were sitting there as one of Jesus' disciples at Golgotha, watching Jesus being crucified, you would say, this is the Messiah. Why would you do it this way, God? Three days later, you would understand. When Christ rose from the dead and you would see that God used that terrible act of injustice, that terrible evil, to bring about forgiveness and repentance and restoration for all humans, anyone who will trust in him. God uses evil to bring about perfect justice for all mankind. And so Habakkuk is asking this question. I think we ask this question. And I think God's answer to that question is, you may not see the whole picture, but you need to trust me. Which brings us to that last question. Can I trust you? Can I trust you? And if you read the whole book of Habakkuk, especially if you read chapter 3, you will see that the answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. I can trust you in the middle of difficult circumstances, chaotic circumstances. Look at what Habakkuk says in this chapter. In fact, Habakkuk actually doesn't ask that question But basically, he gives the answer to that question in chapter 3. He's saying, you know what, God? I can trust you. I do trust you. I rely on you to preserve me no matter what comes. I know I can trust you. Look at what he says. He focuses first on the character of God in verses 2 and 3. He says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Skip down. Um, that's God's character. He says, even in your wrath, remember mercy. If we want to look at what else Habakkuk says in this prayer, he talks about God's, he knows he can trust God because of his character. He also knows he can trust God because of his past actions on behalf of his people. Look at what he says in verse 7. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the seas when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. Verse 11, the sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they split at the flash of your glittering spear. 
Verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. So what Habakkuk is doing here is remembering back to the mighty deeds that God has done in the past on behalf of his people. He's remembering when they came out of Egypt in Exodus and entered the promised land, how God drove the people out before them and gave them a safe place to dwell. And he says to them, God, if you've done this in the past, if you've taken care of your people in the past, I trust that you will take care of me in the present and in the future for all eternity. But that brings us to verse 16. Look at this current situation. Remember, that brings him back now. He said, I do trust that you're, you're in control. But he knows what's coming, right? God said, I'm about to send the Babylonians. In fact, we know about the time it was written, it was probably within 10 or 20 years, the Babylonians did come. And they wiped out Jerusalem. They wiped out the temple. They hauled people away. Habakkuk knows that's coming. He knows what the Babylonians would do. They had a reputation. And so verse 16, he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound and rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. It's a description of fear, right? He's saying, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. But then he says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. In other words, he says, God, I know that ultimately you will hold those people to account like you said you will. I trust that what you say is going to happen is going to happen. And then I think, as he says, basically, I wait for you to fulfill your promises. And that brings us to verses 17 through 19, which I think is one of the most beautiful descriptions of faith in, in all of Scripture. A powerful statement. So think about this. Habakkuk is sitting here waiting for the invaders to come. He knows that famine will come with that. There's already been plagues and locusts and things that God has brought through as initial things. Um, it's already been hard, and it's about to get a lot harder. And what does Habakkuk say? Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. He says, even though everything is taken away, I rejoice that I have a relationship with the living God. And nothing can take that away. You know, uh, throughout this book, Habakkuk is asking these questions. Hard questions about hard times. Um, I want to tell you a little something just in closing about a, a friend of mine, actually a relative of mine. Uh, his name is Walter Business. Uh, so same last name as me. Uh, he just passed away about three weeks ago. And you didn't read about it in the news. You wouldn't have seen this. He's a man who was a farmer his entire life. Uh, but Walter Business shared this passage with me in a really powerful way years ago. 
Uh, I remember, so Walter actually had 10 kids. So he had a bunch of kids out there working on his farm. Um, and, and all of them grew up, uh, big, strong guys. These are people that you would think of as like superheroes almost, just super strong. So I'm, I'm thinking of one in particular. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan was a youth leader in my church. Uh, so he was a, a parent. He already had a family full of kids by the time he was youth leader. Um, and I went off to college and I remember, I think it was my junior year of college. I got a phone call. That said that Jonathan Business had died. And so I asked what happened. Well, he had gone out to feed his cattle, just like he had done thousands of times. Um, got off his tractor, it came out of park, rolled up and crushed him. He was killed instantly. And I just, that, that rocked my world. Uh, I would say that even, uh, you could ask Sarah, probably almost like a crisis of faith. How long, Lord? Why would you do it this way? You know, I was really good friends with Jonathan. Really good friends with his kids. Uh, God, why would you do this? And I wrestled with that for months and months. Lost my friend, watched his wife uh, try to take care and make plans and figure out what she was going to do with all these kids. Um, really hard time. But I remember I was home from college a few months later, and uh, there was a service at our church, and they gave an opportunity for people to get up and share testimonies. And I remember... Uh, Walter stood up, went up to the front of the church, and you could have heard a pin drop because he's the father. And the first thing he said was, I'm not angry with God. And everybody listened, and he shared a little bit, and then he said, I want to share with you some verses that capture how I feel today. And he read those verses from Habakkuk. And I've never forgotten that. Um, the word of God was real to him. Just like it was real to Habakkuk. Because remember, Habakkuk's sitting here on the edge of a very difficult time. You may be sitting here on the edge of a difficult time. And Habakkuk says, God, your word alone is enough to give me trust. I know that because of what you have promised me, I can trust you for all eternity. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. It's my hope and my prayer that in the midst of whatever circumstances you find yourself, you can say those things with confidence as well. That no matter what comes, God, I trust you, I rejoice in you, I find confidence in you. Do you trust him? Do you trust him for salvation? Do you trust him in the circumstances? Whatever circumstances you're in right now, you can trust him. Remember, the message of all the minor prophets is, God is the God who keeps promises. And for that, we rejoice. I want to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to close with a song here in a minute. Uh, but that's my challenge to you. Go back and read this book one more time. Read it in the lens of those three questions. Think about the questions that you ask God. And then I would just encourage you, if you can, make a statement of faith to the Lord. Hopefully you've already trusted him for your salvation. But I would just make a commitment of trust to trust him through whatever circumstances you're going through right now. Would you bow with me in prayer?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your son who suffered on our behalf the greatest injustice ever known to humans. And God, I just thank you that you have saved us through his blood. Lord, help us to rely on you, to know that we can trust you no matter what happens. For it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.